Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. My guest this week is Ajay Khori, co-founder and longtime CEO of Urban Stems, a flower delivery company disrupting 1-800-Flowers and FTD. Ajay and I talk about the broken flower industry, why he decided to enter it, uh, why Amazon is unlikely to be able to compete there, uh, but I think most interestingly, uh, why he decided to hand off the CEO role uh, after about five years, uh, and what's next uh, for Ajay and lessons learned along the way. I think you'll enjoy this conversation, and without further ado, here's Ajay. Ajay Corey, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Ajay, you co-founded Urban Stems. Tell us about the inspiration for uh, starting the company. Yeah, it's a, a bit random. A bunch of guys started a flower company, but um, uh, there's a good reason for it. So I, at the time that we decided to start this company, was living in New York, um, working for a company called Quidzy, which uh, most of you know is diapers.com, soap.com, wag.com, founded by Mark Laurie, who went on to start jet.com and sold that to Walmart. But when we were there, we created that entire business around creating the best possible experience for your customers. The, uh, you know, when people think about e-commerce, they think it's, you know, you cut out a lot of the cost because you don't have the brick and mortar, but it, it actually allows you to deliver, you know, an incredible customer experience. And the two most important metrics in e-commerce are the cost to acquire a customer and the lifetime value of that customer. If the cost is less than the lifetime value of that customer, and by several multiples, then you have a really good business. And when you create the best experience for your customers, what you actually do is you create a bunch of advocates in the market for your business, and that lowers your cost of acquisition, and they repeat more frequently and are stickier, and that increases your lifetime value of the customer. And so we invested at Quitsy a lot into that customer experience, so much so that when Amazon first kind of came after us, you know, they eventually acquired us, but what most people don't realize is they actually try to take us out of business first. They sold diapers at under cost, and to Amazon's surprise, our customers went nowhere. They were purchasing even when it cost more, and that's because these busy moms knew that they would get a better experience on diapers.com. If FedEx screwed up their order, someone from our team would literally go drop, pick up you know, the diapers from our warehouse and drive it to their house. And because of that, Amazon eventually realized they couldn't peel away customers just by selling it under cost and eventually acquired us. And so when I was learning this really salient lesson at Quidzy in New York, at the time I was dating someone in Philadelphia, and both of us were obviously very busy, and so I ended up sending a lot of flowers. And I just kept having bad experience after bad experience. Half the time, the flowers looked nothing like what I ordered. They usually arrive late, but they always just cost a ton of money to do it. And all of these experiences kind of crescendoed on her birthday. I sent her a bouquet to surprise her. It never came. And in fact, it started getting late into the night uh, and I called, you know, the, the major flower company and they kept telling me it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. So I held off on calling her, which was a bad decision on my part because I thought the flowers would surprise her, but they ended up never coming at all. Uh, and after that, I, I just realized, you know, I, I can't be this unlucky. There, there's got to be something going on with this industry. Um, so I called up one of my best friends from college who I've started companies with and we, we took a look at the industry and what we realized is that floral e-commerce is based on a 100-year-old system. It essentially hasn't changed in those 100 years. It started out as a physical wire, then it switched to a phone number, and now it's online. But the entire system is, is always been the same. You have an order aggregator who takes your order, 
takes a cut and then they're essentially done with your order. They send it on something called a flower wire that takes a cut and then it goes to the local florist to actually fulfill. And so three different people are taking a cut of your order, which is why the price is so high. But when you look at it from the local florist perspective, you know, they have two streams of orders. They have people who walk in the front door who can pay full price and become a repeat customer. And then they have these online orders, which are fully branded as 1-800-Flowers or FTD or whoever the online florist is. And so they're anonymous in this transaction and they're getting less money than a customer walking in the front door. So for them, they essentially use these orders as inventory management. As you can imagine, a, a brick and mortar flower store has a pretty high spoilage rate. And so these on, they, they still take these online orders because they can essentially use what they need to move out of the store. And it's why you so often hear flowers look nothing like what I ordered or they died within a couple of days. It's because you're getting what they wanted to get out the door. But as a consumer, you end up paying a higher price for this worse experience and not being a priority to the person who's actually making your product. And when you think about e-commerce, it's made everything better, faster, cheaper. We saw that, you know, I saw that firsthand at Quidzy. And in online floral, it's actually done the opposite. It's made it more expensive and a worse experience. So we saw a huge opportunity to come in and, you know, do what Quidzy did, which is create the best possible experience, which uh, we were a little naive when we started. We thought it was going to be easier than we actually expected. But today, you know, we're That's fully... never virtual. happened to any entrepreneur <laughs> before in the history of time. <laughs> fair point. Fair point, Dan. But, you know, today we, we not only dictate what's being grown at the farms, but we transport it up to warehouses that we operate, distribution centers that we operate, and couriers that we employ. So very vertically integrated, doing a lot more than I think we initially expected. But that's, that's what it takes to deliver the best, best experience. So that's what we're doing. And what's, the, what's your customer experience today? If you're in New York and D.C., if you place an order on our website or our mobile site, the delivery will happen in about an hour. We'll take a photo confirmation of your bouquet outside your recipient's location and email that to you as the delivery is happening. So, you know, in real time as the delivery is happening and you get to even see your recipients, you know, the flowers in front of your recipient's location. They're hand delivered to your recipient. The flowers last for uh, up to two weeks, all starting at $35 of free delivery. So better, faster, cheaper than anything else that ever existed. Last year, layered on nationwide delivery. So in areas that we don't have hand delivery, deliver overnight for free. Um, so a little bit different experience, but allows you to send anywhere in the country. And when I use Urban Stems, uh, I probably send flowers to my wife once a month, something along those lines. Prior to the existence of Urban Stems, it was maybe on Valentine's Day. Is that a typical pattern? What do, What are you seeing uh, your customers actually uh, doing, how often, uh, who are they sending it to, and so forth. Our hypothesis when we started the company is that sending flowers is typically a very seasonal thing. 1-800-Flowers, FTD, all the big flower companies typically do about half their total annual revenue on two days, Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. And it's because people have to send on those days. So they they put up with you know a miserable experience because they have no choice. They need to get flowers somewhere. Our hypothesis was that if we make sending a gift fun again uh, and affordable, you're going to do it more often. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, our, our customer repeat rate, uh, not quite as high as yours, but we're close to triple what the incumbents are at. I mean, I think we can even get that higher as we continue to offer more gifts and you know things that flowers may not be appropriate for, as well as continue to create affordable price points. Just to give you an example, for us, about 8% of our annual revenue is done on those two holidays compared to 50% for the incumbents. Our number one send reason is happy birthday. And after that, it's a really long tail of congratulations on the promotion. Thanks for having me over for dinner. Sorry, that guy was such a jerk. Tell us how big you are today. What's the scope of the business? We've grown quite, a, uh, quite fast uh, every year. 
and we're close to 150 employees now. And as I mentioned before, we have delivery across the country and our, our revenue is in the tens of millions. Ajay, when you were talking about founding, Amazon came up a couple of times, both as the uh, ultimate acquirer of Quidzy, but also as sort of the, the big bad competitor that tried to kill Quidzy. You probably thought about Amazon starting this. You probably think a little bit about Amazon today. Pretty much everyone in e-commerce does. What's your current take? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the outlier that's uh, less afraid of Amazon than everyone else. Part of that is because I, you know, after the acquisition, I worked with them and know their strengths and their weaknesses. And part of it is because the category we're in is very difficult to do. So I'll start there. When I was at Amazon, you know, I, I launched their first pharmacy. And uh, when we did that, we actually partnered with another pharmacy, an existing pharmacy, rather than build it on our own. And the reason we did that was because these Amazon warehouses are absolutely amazing. They are the best at taking items big and small and delivering it to a customer in two days, like getting it out of the warehouse onto a, a FedEx or UPS truck and at your doorstep in a couple of days. There's no one on earth who can do it better than Amazon can. But the flip side to that is that these warehouses are designed to do that one thing. They can't do anything else. If you try to change the process, you end up breaking the entire system for what you know does billions in revenue. And the example here is we looked at contact lenses. And the U.S. has actually passed a law that made selling contact lenses online easier than other pharmaceuticals. So for most pharmaceuticals, when you buy them online, you have to have the prescription, whether it's a pet medication or human medication, verified and approved by your physician before it can ship. With contact lenses, they loosen the laws so that when you submit an order for contact lens, it still gets sent to your optometrist. But if your optometrist doesn't respond within 24 hours, you can go ahead and ship that to the end customer anyway. So all you essentially have to do is just delay the shipment by 24 hours. But even making that small change in the Amazon warehouses would have broken you know, the entire system that is designed to move things out the door as quickly as possible. And so we opted to partner instead of launching contacts ourselves. And there are thousands of examples like that. And when you look at floral, you know, flowers die within two weeks. They have to be moved through the supply chain really quickly. They have to be handled completely differently. They have to be refrigerated at different temperatures than food. It's an entirely new supply chain and process. And while Amazon, again, great at so many different things, building out this entire separate process, not only for floral, but also for gifting, is something that you know we don't foresee them doing and what we do best. That is all we're focused on is delivering the best possible gifting experience um, with the majority of it being flowers. So everything we've built is specific to doing just that. And because of that, we're best in class at that. Uh, and it's really hard to replicate, even for a company like Amazon. So you're talking about things like supply chain, like refrigeration. There are a lot of entrepreneurs that would you know, hear those words and say, gosh, I want to stick to software or I want to stick to the internet. You know, I don't know. I don't have to worry about it. I mean, I remember last time I was at your office, you know, talking to uh, one of your colleagues about the difficulty of getting this the giant, you know, freezer or refrigerator into the office. How do you currently think, reflecting back on, you know, five years of, of experience he, uh, here with Urban Stems about sort of physical goods as opposed to something with just ones and zeros? There is so much complication with what we're doing, but that's also where the magic is. I think the more complicated something is, the more interested I am personally in it. 
but it is not lost on me that building software is sometimes much easier to scale. We went after this, though, because we knew at the end of the day, if we were able to create a better system, we'd be able to unlock this potential for the consumer to go out, you know, hit a couple buttons on their phone and have a great gift delivered somewhere at an affordable price. That's never been done before. And gifting is is a massive category. It's much bigger than people realize. One out of every five non-consumable purchases in the U.S. is is actually a gift. And so as humanity, we, we do this very, very often. But there have really never been any great solutions for this. You know, Hallmark cards used to be ubiquitous a couple of generations ago. You don't really see that in our generation. It's, it's not because we're less thoughtful. It's just because it's not how we show appreciation or show that we love people. We do it through gifts. And being able to go into this messy world of having to dictate what's being grown on a farm and operate warehouses and operate distribution centers and operate delivery drivers, it's all complex. But you know, at the end of the day, because we've done it, we've unlocked this thing for consumers that never was possible before. We've unlocked this behavior that they're able to do, which they want to do. And so I, I think I love the complications. I know, you know, there are great reasons to write software and you can make a ton of money doing it. But I, I love that we've done what we've done because it, it just it allows you to do something that I think is really special in this world. And that's make people happy. So Ajay, we're, we're talking now in mid-January, and something important happened in, in your life just a couple of weeks ago. Why don't you tell us what that, what that was and uh, what led you to that decision? Yeah, so we hired a full-time CEO to run the company, and I have stepped into the, the chairman role and you know, eventually will step out of day-to-day operations. And, you know, this is a company I started five years ago. And as many founders will say, like, this is my baby. And to not be involved in, in raising the thing that you brought into this world, essentially, is a pretty big change, <laughs> both personally and, and professionally. But it's the absolute right decision. And we we're incredibly lucky here at Urban Stems that we had the perfect CEO in, in waiting in our former CEO and now CEO, Seth Goldman, who was the former CEO at HelloFresh, and also someone who I knew from my days at Quidzy, he was the perfect person to kind of take it over. It's crazy to think about it. And I know people who are listening, are, you know, why would you not want to run the thing that you started? And the reason is simple. It actually has nothing to do with me. It's, it's really what's best for the business. Um, you know, startups start at one stage and as they grow and scale, they become something different. And it's a different set of skills that are required to continue growing the company as fast as as possible. And what I've realized kind of through this process is that I am passionate about the zero to one phase. When things are nebulous and you really have no idea what the hell you're doing, that's where I shine. And when things start becoming about optimizing and continuing to, you know, grow new ch- or expand channels, et cetera, et cetera. That's where I think I am not only less passionate, but less good at. And, uh, you know, this was actually described to me best by Scott Case, the you know former founder of Priceline, current founder of Upside Travel. You know, if you uh, if you're great at a particular stage of startup and then you stay on a CEO where you're not optimal at or someone could be doing it better, you're actively cheating on your startup. Because, you know, you're, you're in the position essentially for your ego and not for what's best for the company, your investors, your employees, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, you know, I think really resonated with me. I am not an optimizer. 
I, I'm, I'm a guy who likes bushwhacking through the forest. And once a path starts to form, there are better people who can run down that path. Uh, so any bushwhacking in your future? <laughs> there is some bushwhacking in my future. It's, I'm fortunate my father is one of the uh, preeminent pain researchers in the world. The, the drugs that he's created have created billions of dollars of value. And in fact, his last company sold for a billion dollars. And uh, he's actually coming out of retirement because of this technology coming out of Harvard that he thinks could you know, completely eliminate not only pain, but reduce the need for opioids completely, which is something he's been aiming for for you know, his entire career. So him and a couple of his other you know, really kind of rock star researchers and doctors are all kind of coming together. The stars are kind of aligning to push this under the market as quickly as possible and reduce the opioid epidemic potentially forever. So I'll be leading those efforts, which is really exciting and really intimidating. But as with anything, we didn't know anything about flowers and we figured it out. And I have plenty to figure out now. So, I mean, obviously the fact that it's your father, the fact that there's an incredible mission um, associated with that opportunity uh, or attractive. I'm curious if there are things that you learned at Urban Stems that helped you evaluate um, that opportunity. And are there lessons you know, that you can share, given everything that you've done uh, up to now with entrepreneurs who are thinking about what to do, but, you know, maybe maybe haven't pulled the trigger yet? Yeah, no, there. I, I think they're absolutely, you know, you wouldn't think that selling flowers to consumers and producing a blockbuster drug have anything in common, but both are initiatives that start out as simply an idea that, you know, have to turn into something that has a, has a huge impact on people. And that pathway, even though they're very different fields, is is pretty similar. It really, you know, what we learned at Urban Stems is that you can't anticipate really what consumers are going to want or what your structure is going to look like. You can hypothesize all you want, but you have to go out there and test. And you have to go out there and and learn through failure. Be really comfortable with, with failure to the point where you're able to try enough things that you get to something novel. And once you get to that thing that is novel and, you know, and resonates with customers, then you start doubling down on that and continuing to iterate and and take risks. And so with this drug company we're developing right now, same thing, even though it's it's highly regulated and and medical, a lot of the initial steps came from looking at a a wide spectrum of things that had never been considered before and testing them uh, in the most lightweight way possible. And that's what kind of allowed us to realize the pathway that we're developing could, you know, essentially eliminate pain completely. Ajay Corey, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.